1: It was part of a very, very large malware campaign that thankfully didn't get through to any of our customers, but it's the size of thing that we certainly pay attention to.
0: That's Ryan Calumber. He's Senior Vice President of Cybersecurity Strategy at Proofpoint. He's describing a newly discovered remote access trojan called Flawed Amy that's been used in malicious email campaigns as far back as 2016.
1: And it had all the hallmarks of a particular you know, malware crime f- group we call a threat actor mm-hmm. uh, we, we identify it as threat actor 505 it's, they're really responsible for over 90 percent of all the malware on the internet <laughs> and uh, they run one of the biggest botnets that's out there which is known as the nicoor's botnet so we we pay attention to pretty much everything that they do once we saw the the campaign even though we had blocked it of course Uh, We started doing a little bit more research into what the payload looked like and how it would behave if someone were to have received it and infected themselves, and that's where we started to see it get interesting.
0: So take us through some of the details here. Uh, You call this Flawed Amy. What's the background? uh, How'd you come up with that name?
1: So this is a corrupted version of a really a, a quite legitimate tool that is used for remote desktop administration the sort of thing that would be known as uh, a good kind of rat as opposed to the bad kind of rat. Hmm. Uh, and th- there's lots of these tools that occasionally get used for good or for evil. And in fact, one of the hallmarks of modern cybersecurity is that the attackers use a lot of the same administrative tools that we use to manage our own computers and networks uh, for, for their own nefarious purposes. Uh, once we started digging around, we realized that um, the source code to this Amy tool had leaked uh, and the attackers were able to basically develop their own malicious version of it. Uh, and uh, that obviously uh, led us to the name Flawed Amy, which is not the most creative thing we have ever done, to, uh, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> candid. But uh, I think it really accurately describes what's, what's been doing here, or what they've been doing here, rather. And in uh, looking a little bit deeper, we found that. This has actually been used since the beginning of 2016. Hmm. Uh, It wasn't used in quite the same way it was last week, where it was a really, really large campaign, uh, multi-million message campaign that we saw. And we do see a lot of the world's email, of course, but we don't see it all. Uh, We actually were able to trace back, uh, since the beginning of 2016, some narrow, highly targeted attacks that went after uh, some really more interesting targets, like the automotive industry, as well as um, a few other uh, vertical industries.
0: You say this was a large attack, and certainly millions of, uh, of emails qualifies as big. Um, yes. Was this more of a shotgun approach, or did it seem like they were targeting anyone in particular?
1: Well, it was the typical TA-505 approach. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen it before with malware like Locky and Drydex, uh, Globe Imposter. Are, are, they're all different things that this really large group has sent out. Or, well, they might not be a large group in terms of human capacity, but they certainly are in, in terms of their uh, ability to spread malware. Hmm. Yeah, they and they uh, they maintain these broad lists, right? And they they in some cases they actually even use an affiliate model to send out these huge volumes of of malware. So that's not necessarily targeted in any meaningful sense, Uh, but uh, since they do have sort of like a a marketing campaign would have a list of potential recipients, you know, they have their own database of contacts that they send to. Uh, It it was targeted in that sense uh, by the NACORS botnet to, you know, millions and millions of recipients worldwide. You know, that said, once an infection occurred, they could do some very, very specific things Uh, that aren't similar to, you know, what a banking Trojan or ransomware, which this group is actually more commonly associated with, would do. You know, ransomware pretty much behaves the same way every single time, Mm -hmm. uh, and a banking Trojan does the same. Uh, In this case, they would have full control over all of these machines. Uh, That would would mean they could steal all the files, steal all the credentials. They could... create their own uh, kind of extension to the existing botnet out of this uh, very, very large group of likely compromised computers that would have been infected by this. and certainly they could look around for more targeted uh, specific types of data or or even specific machines that were caught up in the in the broad campaign if they were looking for say, an individual organization's data or proprietary IP. Uh, all of that would be on the table given uh, how a rat behaves, especially one that's uh, uh, built the way that flawed Amy is.
0: So let's walk through the delivery of this. How would someone find themselves infected? So the
1: first thing that they'll see is the typical malicious message that looks enticing to click on. Uh, in this case, it was a uh, kind of a clever technique. In that the message was sent from the recipient's own domain, so if, for example, it was sent to me, it would have been spoofed from at proofpoint.com. Hmm. Um, v- interestingly, you know, very few organizations actually authenticate their email, so most of the time these spoofs are delivered. Uh, it, of course, wouldn't have been to proofpoint.com, but for <laughs> your typical organization who hasn't implemented a protocol called DMARC and authenticated their email, it would have gotten right through. Right. Uh, and that actually is a fairly common technique and is part of a lot of these large campaigns and and very often organizations won't even take fairly simple steps to you know, put a tag in the subject line that says, hey, this came from an external source, even though it's pretending to come from the, the domain that we all share uh, for our email addresses. So that was actually the first interesting thing about the campaign. It had a subject line uh, that I believe was receipt number, if I uh, re- recall correctly, mm. with some ra- random digits. That's very, very common in these kinds of things. Uh, and, uh, interestingly, the attachment was a URL file that was in a, a, a zipped archive. So, uh, again, the sort of thing that does pretty well in evading certain types of malware detection, we recognize the URL as an executable file and that's why we blocked it for our customers, but that doesn't seem to have been the case for all, uh, types of, of defenses.
0: What typically is a URL file uh, used for?
1: It's a good question, actually, uh, but a URL file is basically going to be interpreted by Windows as an Internet shortcut. But in this case, the shortcut wasn't actually to any sort of HTTP or HTTPS site. Uh, what it did instead is it uh, when you clicked on it, it downloaded and then executed a JavaScript file over uh, what's known as the SMB protocol. Uh, made very, very famous by WannaCry and NotPetya and lots of other things. Uh, but it's server sort of message block, really, how file sharing occurs over traditional legacy networks. You know, So it's it wasn't going to a website. It was going to a JavaScript file over SMB, which was very, very interesting. Uh, that JavaScript file then uh, would download uh, a, a tool called Quantloader, which is sort of an intermediary kind of uh, downloader payload uh, and then the final payload was the uh, the flawed Amy
0: rat. Now you would get a pop-up window, right? That would uh, that you would have to open the file. Is that correct?
1: Oh yeah, it was a zipped file. There was there was no reason you'd have to open it at all. In fact, it would just be an email attachment that you would then have to unzip and then actually click on the 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 URL file. Uh, so you had to do, do a couple of different steps, very much like. A lot of modern malware, where you know you have to click on enable content in the macro laden Word document, or you have, or you just have a you know a uh, innumerable variations on sending users executable code and then trying to trick them into running it. Because you know it's 2018, and it is much easier to fool a user into giving you remote code exec than it is to fool a computer <laughs> into giving you the ability to run code on it.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting insight. I mean, it's a I suppose it's really a numbers game.
1: It is absolutely a numbers game, but it's also a case of why do something hard when you could do something easy. Hmm. You know, uh, Over 99% of the threats that we see do not involve a vulnerability that's not patched, uh, or even one that is patched. Uh, because attackers have realized that you know, they want people to, to run code for them, and they're pretty good at tricking people into doing that. It's much, much easier to come up with a clever lure, figure out how to get somebody to click on it a couple of times, maybe click on a dialog box... Versus finding a vulnerability and then overcoming all of the mitigations in modern operating systems and browsers that are designed to prevent you from exploiting that vulnerability. So not only is finding a vulnerability hard, writing an exploit for it is hard. uh, But at the same time, there's that vulnerability in between the chair and the keyboard, uh, which is always exploitable.
0: So someone uh, goes and does the clicking against uh, advice from uh, from their security team and uh, finds themselves infected with this. What happens next?
1: Well, at that point, the attacker has full control of the target machine, and they can do what whatever they want. Um At this point, we don't have a lot of telemetry on what they were doing. Hmm. Uh, but what uh, what they would have been capable of doing is is basically doing pretty much uh, whatever they like uh, with with the target machine. Again, making it part of a botnet, looking for any data that they might find interesting on it. Uh, what is very frequent is they'll also harvest credentials from a target machine to either use in further attacks or, uh, try and use to leverage the data or to get the data rather that those credentials would have had access to. Uh, and it is, uh, and it's really open season, uh, once, uh, once you have a rat installed on a, on a target machine.
0: Now, is this the sort of thing that a typical antivirus program would have detected? I think it would have
1: uh, at least after the initial campaigns flagged it as malicious. Um, That said, it's really hard for an endpoint product to realize that a user opening a zip file, clicking on a .url file, again, one that behaves relatively normally compared to most enterprise network traffic, right? It was just going to a file colon slash slash address and not an HTTP or HTTPS slash slash address. Uh, and then downloading that bit of JavaScript, again, the user's doing the hard work here. They're running the code. So it's hard to tell apart from something that the user might be doing legitimately it wasn't um, packed with any of the the classic things that even next generation antivirus as as they're called look for so, uh, so it, it had a lot of those sort of clever evasion techniques that are often extremely effective uh against mitigations that you might apply on the endpoint in this case you know when you have an executable that doesn't have a previously known reputation you have to catch it based on its behavior or or, or something along those lines so um there, there would have been a fair chance that some of the endpoint tools would have caught it. Uh, looking at things like VirusTotal, it was clear that it it got through quite a lot of endpoint defenses, though.
0: Can you describe to us? Uh, I, I'm curious about. Uh, you mentioned that uh, this TA505 group uh, runs a botnet. Can you describe to us uh, what do they have there?
1: Oh, it's a great question. Um, so TA505, or at least as we call them, they have lots of other names. Uh, they re- they run th- this Necurs botnet. N E C U R S. Uh, it, one of the bigger ones in the world, and they use that botnet for all kinds of different things. Uh, historically, they've used it to tr- try and send out banking trojans to people in order to, you know, basically inject themselves into web sessions and steal money. Banking trojans are fairly hard to develop, actually, compared to other pieces of malware like ransomware, which is a substantially simpler enterprise. So we saw them actually shift from a very famous banking trojan known as Drydex to uh, the Locky ransomware, which became famous in its own right a mm-hmm. um, couple of years ago. Uh, and again, they're using this botnet to just send out millions, tens of millions, in a few cases, hundreds of millions of emails in each campaign. So really, they they are responsible for a shocking percentage of the world's malware infections by volume maybe not the most interesting attacker in the world but they are the biggest player uh when it comes to kind of worldwide infections uh that botnet though occasionally gets used for different things so for example you know they're they're gonna go where the money is and monetize the botnet however they uh however they can so oddly enough the botnet over the last couple of weeks has really just been sending spam which they can monetize in certain ways and can keep the uh, keep the money flowing while they do things like invest in new tools. Uh, Amy is a really good example of that. There was certainly a development cycle in taking the sort of sort of stolen source code for this uh, remote administration tool and turning it into uh, a remote access trojan. You know that uh, that's the sort of work that you know takes a <laughs> takes a couple of weeks, uh, and this group in particular. Uh, Although, you know, the botnet doesn't go away over the holidays, this group does tend to quiet down uh, somewhere between sort of mid-December and usually sometime in the first couple of months of the year. And they seem to come back with a completely new trick every time they do that. And in this case, uh, it was the Vladimir campaign, which was a, a a fairly different thing than anything they had done before and gives them a variety of opportunities to monetize all these compromised computers which will either become part of the Necros botnet or or they're going to uh, leverage in other ways
0: now do you have any sense for what part of the world they're coming from and also are, are they targeting particular parts of the world when their are attacks
1: this group is uh, based on a lot of what they do uh, and a lot of the things that end up in their code, uh, very, very likely to be Eastern European or Russian in hmm. origin. Uh, that said, they run an affiliate model, so uh, it's very much a complex exercise to ever tie this back to individual humans. Uh, they're not known to be state-sponsored uh, in any meaningful way. Uh, and they, they uh, are equal opportunity uh, for years, they were hitting Europe harder than they were hitting the U.S. For example, uh, they've also gone hard after Australia uh, in certain campaigns in the past. Uh, but you know, their their infrastructure is large enough and automated enough that they can really target the whole world, and they can do so uh, in sort of waves of email that um, that are timed uh, to maximize their infection rates and and we are very very clear on the fact that you know they're they're good at monitoring uh how successful they are how effective each of these campaigns are Uh, and they'll change their techniques constantly uh and sometimes that's that's a big change like with flawed amy um in other cases it's a it's a minor tweak like they're doing something slightly different with macros or they experimented with uh what's known as dde dynamic data exchange which is a something that was built into Microsoft Office many, many, many years ago and uh, allowed a, a payload to be downloaded within an Office document by a user clicking OK a bunch of times. So they're they're very, very good at changing the technique uh, all the time. Uh, but what's really distinguished them, as well as lots of other um, threat actors these days, is that they don't actually use very many vulnerabilities at all. They're not the sort of group that is going to be coming up with zero days, although in in the past they've used very, very recently disclosed vulnerabilities that were reliable exploits. They're, they don't actually even rely on, on zero days in order to be effective in uh, in compromising huge amounts of computers worldwide.
0: In terms of advice for folks to protect themselves against flawed Amy, what would you suggest?
1: Flawed Amy, we've seen mostly disseminated via email. So the the best way to stop that is to make sure that you have an email gateway that's stopping any executable content from coming into your users to begin with. Uh, so the flawed Amy in particular is using this fairly novel dot URL technique. Then again, it is pretty much a variant of a lot of different things that we've seen from numerous actors over the last couple of years where, you know, they're sending people zipped JavaScript or, or stuff like that, which you wouldn't think many people would click on, but, but they do. Um, so the the easiest way to stop something like Flawed Amy is to make sure that whatever you're using as an email gateway makes sure to strip out any executable content. Um, users should also be made aware uh, that they're being targeted in these ways. If you get a receipt, to, as in the Flawed Amy campaign, from uh, an email address you don't recognize, even if it's sent from your own company's domain, uh, that is worth paying attention to. Um, I think this is a good case in which a lot of organizations can benefit from a really, really easy thing to do, which is to put external in the subject line whenever that email is coming from outside, because users might think twice and say, oh, wait, it's pretending to come from somebody in my organization, but it says external. Now this looks suspicious to me. Hmm. Uh, of course, user awareness training is, is a bit of a moving target. It's something that a lot of people are investing in, and it will never be perfect, but uh, it's a it's a good thing to add to the overall mix of defenses that actually do turn out to be pretty effective against things like flawed Amy.
0: Our thanks to Ryan Kalember from Proofpoint for joining us. You can find all the information about the flawed Amy rat on the Proofpoint website. It's in their blog section.